Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. Uh, after last week, um, I don't know what to say. Yeah, we need a palate cleanser after last week, and I don't have one. <laughs> no, we don't have one today. We literally need all kinds of palate cleansers. Yeah. After last week, we've gotten a lot of feedback. A lot. From last week. it was as, Everybody was as shocked as we were, Scott. I texted you guys. I wasn't shocked. When we walked out the door, I texted both of you and said, guys, that was an instant classic. It was. I'm talking about they were as shocked to hear the story as we were. Oh, yeah. Yo, well, good grief. I yeah. think it's because it's... It wasn't a well-known story, at least to me. I had never heard uh, no. of it till I found it. No. no. I was listening back on my way to work one day. Yeah. And the funniest part to me was when you said, Katie, I'm pointing to Katie. Yeah. Katie said, but there's more. And Scott goes, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually laughed out loud at that. And I'm hearing it for the second time. But anyways, uh, my name is Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Katie Givens, not a lawyer. And we are coming to you from the Easy Street studio. That's right. And it gets cleaner, a little bit cleaner every week in here. We're, you know what? We're on Easy Street every week. What a great place to hang out. Home of the delicious barbecue sauce. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, the Jimmy Givens barbecue Jimmy sauce. Jimmy Givens not, barbecue sauce. Not the sauce. Omama Nelson barbecue not sauce. Not the Omama Nelson. That should be, we need a t-shirt. Yep. <laughs> yeah, not Omama Nelson barbecue sauce. <laughs> no, we do not. That would oh, be in terrible taste. Don't remind everybody. Yeah, okay. And terrible taste, pun intended. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm sorry. That was it. That was the last one. I Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a comedian, but I will be here all We week. have milked this cow for all it is worth. Wow terrible but katie you did a fantastic job yeah. last week oh, i can't say it enough i was genuinely shocked mm. throughout the entire we got to do it that way every time episode. anytime katie is in the big chair oh. i want to know absolutely nothing and i want you to get as crazy out in the middle of the woods as you can with the story i'm scared to know anything ahead of time yeah. i don't, <laughs> don't want to know yeah uh, and I'm I was reflecting back on the uh, days that are the most violent, mm -hmm. and we're we're coming up on some of those days. Yes, yes, we are. So be Watch careful out, out there. <laughs> and your husband's birthday. Yeah, it's one of the more violent. I'm not days. coming to your house for that birthday party, so don't ask. <laughs> Uninvited anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like what? I was going to get invited. Well, you know, he is not. Uh, he doesn't like to have a big deal made of his birthday. All the more reason to do it. I know. I try to be respectful. <laughs> Leave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and his birthday just happens to fall in the busiest time of year. So it's really easy to keep it low key and yeah. just kind of say, hey, what do you want to do? And, you know, at the last minute, he'll say, well, I, I kind of want to just do this. Yeah. Well, once you and get so to his age, will. you're not really celebrating birthdays anyway. <laughs> oh, says the, guy who's, says the guy who's several years older than Kevin. <laughs> I know so, from I'm sorry, KT. Yeah, I know. We can't. We, you know, we can't keep a lid on Scott. Sorry. We apologize on behalf of the rest of the crew here at <laughs> True Crime on Easy Street. Scott, would you like to share your age with everybody? I am 53 years old. I've said it before on the show. Mm -hmm. You're so 53. 53. Yeah, that's right. Okay. You can ask men that question. Yeah. yeah. I don't but care. not women. Don't yeah, I'm not me. even going to. Don't, we, don't. Well, we've we've talked a lot lately about Katie's age because yeah. we went to the uh, Savannah yeah. trip mm -hmm. to celebrate her mm -hmm. 
second 29th birthday. Yeah, I'm, I'm officially now the age that I don't care to talk about it anymore. Right. Okay. Yeah, you know, 20, 20, it whatever happens. is fine. And Kelly sure. is somewhere in between and we'll I'm leave it at that. I'm somewhere in between and so I would love to, do, how old do you think I am, folks? Yeah, oh, email not, Just by listening to my voice. <laughs> how old do you think I am? Because uh, most of you know me, so you probably know. Email us and take a guess. It's truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com. But I am going to tell you when people guess my age, they always guess older. <laughs> well, that's good because uh, for a long time that happened to me. As I, I got guessed younger, mm. and now everybody's. I get guessed older all the time. I'm, People think I'm older, older than I am. I think yeah. that has more to do with your personality, though. You're very um, old like, soul. Mo- yeah, and mother hen. Mm-hmm. Like I've been an old soul yeah. from from way back when. I mean, a friend of mine says, you know, you've you have been an eighty year old lady since you were in your twenties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the it's first true. the first time you ever grabbed your pearls was when you saw a pineapple on a pizza. <laughs> That's how old school you are. I know, but I love that. I love pineapple on oh, a pizza. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Yeah, I do too. It love it. I do not. Love it. Why are we talking about pizza? You, I don't know why we keep talking about food. I, I, we got, need to avoid Katie's food. got us on food from last week still, so we're stuck on it. But I will tell you this. I was drinking a protein shake when I was driving to work listening to our episode right. really and I already knew what was going to be said didn't finish the protein shake i've lost five pounds in the last week <laughs> sometimes though with a protein shake if i get to thinking about it too much the taste goes for me like, I, I can get, get through ugh, it yeah. but if i i don't know yep and you got to drink it fast or yes. if, you, if you try to sip like with your morning coffee and it needs to be yeah because you got to keep it cold yep the warmer it gets, the worse. Uh, I was going to say pour it in your coffee, but bad idea. Well, some people, I don't drink do, protein some people do that. They make a protein coffee, but I enjoy my coffee too much. Understood. I'm not trying to choke down my protein shake with it. <laughs> coffee is perfect the way that it is. Yeah. You don't have to add the okay. protein shake to it. Anyways, here we are back in the studio. We are on Easy Street. It's a beautiful day. I still and have no blinds. So no blinds, <laughs> so we can see the bright sunshine Restaurant here bar and performance hall. Alabama. Right. We don't say that enough, right? We do oh. not. Well, it doesn't matter. Shane doesn't listen. I know. So we can do whatever he we doesn't. want. <laughs> uh, but it is a beautiful day yes. in the it studio. Is. If we get blind, Scott, we can't see I know. The yeah, the more I say it, the more I kind of am glad that we don't have blinds. And sure enough, now she will go and get blinds next week. <laughs> Someone's going to have to put them up for me. So no worries, because no one is beating down my door to do that. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to hang blinds. I do, but I I don't want to get it. I could probably it's Google a pain it. in the ass. No, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm sure I could do it, but yeah. I'm gonna have to climb on this desk mm-hmm. and then like measure. And I I don't really it's like a, to. It's measure. a tall window, yeah. so yeah, you're. I'm not, not sure she could reach that. the top if she climbed on the desk. <laughs> I think that'll be all right. <laughs> I was trying to put the Christmas tree up last night. Ellison and I were. And she is all of six, seven, eight, I don't know, a lot. She's a lot taller than I am. So it's like the first time I was having to have her, like, hey, hand Mm -hmm. stuff to her. But we still couldn't get the top. We have a 12-foot tree. Yeah, it's a tall tree. That's Shane's job to get the rest of it. We did our nine-and-a-half-foot tree, and then we do a 12-foot tree. I don't know why you don't just put the tree over beside the stairs and just get the box of ornaments and just dump them down into the tree. We've done the tree by the stairs, but Ellison doesn't like it there. She likes it in the living room where she can see it, so she gets what she wants. It makes the living room cozy when you have a tree there. She can, you know, curl up on the couch Mm -hmm. or in the recliner and see it. Yeah, Yeah, she's always in the living room reading, so she likes it in there. I like that. I like that she likes to read, too. Yeah, me too. She does. 
Love that. She is very tall. I saw her the other day, and she, she has gotten so tall. Yes, she has. She, she has. just t- towers over me, the whole family. Yeah, I remember when she used to bump into my knee with her head. And <laughs> it's been a while. Now I think it might be the other way around. Yeah, she's very tall, though. So that's great. Well, good. It's it, The season is upon us, but I know that this week you are on your way to, to Grandma's house, because when mm-hmm. this episode is dropping... Yeah. It's the day before Thanksgiving. That's right. So you're either on the way, you're coming back from grandma's, or you're just trying to gear up to deal with the family. So if you have a uh, a two-hour drive, we've got you covered today. Absolutely. This is going to be a long one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is part one of a two-part series on, what are we talking about, Scott? Um, I'm going to tell you as oh, okay. we go okay. along. That's a surprise. Yeah. I think we have a shout out. I don't know how much of a surprise it is because I gave away a hint last week. Yeah. Your hints everybody, are, are, your hints give it away. A lot of people got the hint. That's also true when you do trivia. Your hints just. <laughs> I screwed up a question last week. I don't want to talk about trivia. I don't want to talk about yeah. trivia. Don't tell your husband. Every that, time he I've loves been. it when I screw up. I can't. Yeah. I screwed up when, when Kelly was, uh, Katie, the one time she was there, screwed up a question that night too. I can't even. I have said to myself, I can't do this anymore. I am too competitive and yes. I get too angry. <laughs> I've said, you know what? It's not for me. It's not anybody's problem but mine. It's my you. problem and I can't do I'm it. I'm the same way. I'm glad so. I host trivia instead of playing trivia because yeah. uh, I'm the same way. But on Easy Street, you can come and play trivia anytime. That's right. Yes, Buzz time trivia. You just get one of the little uh, uh, handheld uh, mm-hmm. uh, thingamajigs. Tablet. <laughs> Tablet. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. And it's on the TV screens. And so you just play along. You're playing against other people all across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a lot of fun. It Very is a lot fun. Of fun. Yeah. And it, they can, do give you hints. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you get, you take a guess and you're one and done. You do yeah. have a chance to Countdown fix your, trivia. Yeah, you it's to fix your score right. a little bit. So uh, it's very fun. You you can also just play against the the four people at your table or however many's at your table mm-hmm. and did that it's one fun. night and and had fun. That I was I, I can do that and not lose it. I've played several yes. trivia games this week. Yeah, there's nobody to be mad at except yeah. yourself. Exactly, you can't yell it's at the guy across me. the table from you. It's all on me yeah. at that point. So as it should be <laughs> when I'm playing trivia. Except we had a guy one night yelling out answers and I about came unglued on him. Now, I like, would get mad about that. He was like, what does everybody care? He was, and I was like, we care. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're you, a trivia person, you care. You yeah. play trivia to see how much you know. Yeah, he wasn't even playing. He was just watching the TV and yelling the answer. Oh, see. Mm-mm. He should have had a thingamajig in the face. <laughs> I was like, if you want to play, I'll get you a tablet. But otherwise, keep your mouth shut. Shut up. <laughs> oh. All right. So here we are. You got a shout out. And you then do. We'll get, I do. Yeah. Do I? I yeah. do. Oh, how sweet. We would like to give a shout out to Will Bailey. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Will Bailey, and his wife, Haley Bailey, mm-hmm. and their new baby boy. He's was born, was it Tuesday? November the 16th. Okay, November the 16th. And he weighed, uh, hold on, I'll get it. I will get the information. I know he was 20 inches long. Eight I think pounds, he was one ounce. Eight yeah. pounds, one ounce. Mm-hmm. His name is Warren Tucker Bailey, yep. and he is a cutie pie. Yes, yes very big time. cute. Most babies are not adorable. I agree. Caitlin Jossie, uh, Caitlin, what am I trying to say? Caitlin Jolly Gossett and I were talking about that yesterday, mm-hmm. and she said the same thing you guys did. She said, you know, most babies aren't uh, easy on the eye, mm-hmm. but that little Bailey kid is adorable. Mm-hmm. So good prettiest, job, Will and Haley. Prettiest little round head. Yes. Yeah, yeah he, he was fully cooked. 
you know, some of them just look like they needed a little longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but that kid looks good. And some of them, you know, have a little bit of a cone head. Yeah. It happens. It happens. It fixes itself. Sure. Um, you know, so. Yeah. But uh, beautiful little baby boy. Congratulations. Everyone's doing fine, yep. as I understand. So we uh, texted with Will on the day of the the birth, the day he became a and father. And he took the time to reach back out to did. both of us. He did. So. I think you, you sent him a text on behalf of the three of us. I did. And I later on, I sent him one and said, uh, nice job, dad. <laughs> and he just said, thanks. I think he was probably, He's I'm probably sure he was emotional busy. and He's overwhelmed. busy and yeah. overwhelmed. It's a, so. it's a very tiring, overwhelming day. So good good for them. Congratulations. Okay. Do you have, an, you don't have another shout out? Uh, we've got some more, did. but we're going to. Save I, them? I, yeah, I'm going to stockpile them for now. We okay. want to give Give Will and Haley the spotlight today. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Or how about we'll just give, and I don't know what they're going to call him, if they're going to call him Warren or if they're going to call him Tucker or, you know, some people have two names and they're not either one. I'm looking at you, Jake Graves. <laughs> but um, the first okay time too. I learned Jake Graves' real name, which I, we won't blow his spot up here, no, but yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, it has nothing to do with Jake. Yeah. Does, hey, he has a restaurant in town, right? No. Mm. And we're no. not talking about Is that what we're not talking about? Okay. <laughs> it's my bad. closed anyway. I was going to see how far I could go with that before you guys just <laughs> shut me down and today was the day. So I don't know what they're going to call um, little Warren Tucker Bailey, but whatever. It'll be precious. So, so yeah. happy, happy birthday. I like Warren. That's a nice name. It, uh, it's I like really, Tucker as well. I love it. Yeah, Tucker one. is uh, Haley's maiden name. Okay. And then, Either as way. I understand it, I believe Warren was Will's mother's maiden name. Okay. Oh, that's Excellent. very cute. I think. Very if nice. I'm wrong, I'm, I apologize. That's, but I believe that's, that's right. That's cute. Comes. We'll clean that up next week if we have to. Yeah, my apologies. If if, but either way, cute, cute baby, cute name, love it. Yeah. All right, where are we going, Scott? We ready? Well, guys, Thank I've had three weeks to get ready for this episode. mm Hmm. But really, I've been working on this episode for over 30 years. Um, not that this mediocre journalist is an expert on the subject in any way, shape, or form, but I have been interested in this story for a long time, and I've wanted to talk about it on this podcast since we first started this podcast in April of 2021. So this Thanksgiving, what I'm thankful for is that the two of you let me climb in the big chair and tell the story that I have been working on for about 35 years now. Well, it should be good. Well, before I was alive. If, if it's it not better good, be, it's, after it's that going to be a, yeah, yeah. So you guys jump in with any questions along the way. If yeah. I don't know the answer, we will find it and now, tell you next week. I do have a question. Why, why are you only doing this on season three? Did we just shut you down the previous two seasons? No, there was some discussion of doing it last year. Uh, Kevin okay. Green was going to join us and then he couldn't. And so I kicked it down the road when I realized that this year, Mm-hmm. is the 60th anniversary. Okay. And I'll explain that. And so Kevin was going to sort of take a counterpoint. Yeah, we right? he, Yeah, well, he was going to talk about some of the different conspiracy theories. And I mentioned that to him last week on the phone and I told him what we were going to talk about. And he said he'd just rather listen. Yeah, I think he just I get enjoys... It. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Don't get involved in something that... <laughs> don't, don't come and see how the sausage is made. He's already done that. He's been on the yeah. show before, he and Jake. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, he saw it and he didn't like it. And I don't blame him. It's a mess in here. And <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> I don't think Jake enjoyed it either. I think they like to listen, yeah. but then sitting here and actually talking and interacting is a, is a totally different experience. Well, I think Jake came in thinking he was going to shoot from the hip and he realized when he reached for his holster that he'd forgotten his revolver. <laughs> 
They did a great job. Yes, yes, that's a great job. I don't know why they didn't like the job that they did, but they did a great job. I'm kicking Jake down the road. I don't get a chance to do that often. I know. Yeah, he's not here to defend himself. No, he's not. So, All right, so, okay, 35 years in the making. Few murders in the history of the world have had such a massive audience or were caught in progress on camera. Yet for tens of millions, the case of who killed President John F. Kennedy remains unsolved to this day. No assassination in history has been so analyzed and documented, yet the American public remains skeptical of the official version of what happened that day. As was written in the opening sentence of Chapter 1 of the Warren Commission Report, the assassination of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy on November the 22nd, 1963, was a cruel and shocking act of violence directed against a man, a family, a nation, and against all mankind. Over half the American people still today believe that there was more to the assassination of the president than one lone nut with a rifle. Yet the Warren Report found that that was exactly what happened. Hopefully those of you out there with at least a basic understanding of the history of the story will not mind if we begin our series with the 101 version of what officially happened. For those of you who are relatively new to this story, we will explain the provenance of the Warren Report in a few minutes. But I think a lot of people in the country, at least a lot of people my age and older, at least know a little bit about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. On a scale from one to 10, would you guys say, I would say I'm about a six on a scale from one to 10 as far as knowledge about the assassination. Probably lower than that, but I think I'm a six. I'm, I'm a two or a three. All right. Well, in, if in 35 years you're a six, okay, I'm going to have to maybe I'm a little, that's a little <laughs> high for me then. <laughs> But honestly, yeah, I'd say I'm a one or two okay. basic, basic knowledge. Well, I bumped into my friend Kevin Gilliland in Easy Street last week. Uh, he was eating dinner, and I mentioned to him. Actually, he asked me what we were going to talk about. And you spilled the beans. And, and I spilled the told, beans to Kevin. As you do. And so what ensued was this 15-minute discussion about the Kennedy assassination. And it turns out that Kevin, a few years ago, had been to the museum that's there in Dallas mm-hmm. uh, on the sixth floor where the whole story started. Okay. That's cool. Um, and so he's going to listen to the, he does not listen to the episode, uh, to the podcast, but he's going to listen to this one. Okay. And we're going to reach out and touch uh, uh, and do a postmortem. And he's going to tell me what he thinks about this episode. Great. So yeah. is he an He'll, expert on Kennedy? No, I just, he, he knew he's as just, much about it as I did. Okay. All right. Great. And he's uh, been to the more. museum. And he's been he's to the museum. Interested. Yeah. Did he say that was a great experience? I'll tell you about that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm getting ahead. If you are listening to us on the day this episode of True Crime on Easy Street has been uploaded, it is Wednesday, November the 22nd, 2023, 60 years to the day that President Kennedy was shot and killed in front of hundreds of people. Check your watch. If you are listening to us on November the 22nd and it happens to be 12.30 Central Time, then down to the minute, it was exactly 60 years ago to you. Wow. Just as the three of us remember where we were and what we were doing on September the 11th, 2001, and just like Kelly and I remember where we were in January of 1986 when the space shuttle Challenger exploded, everyone who was alive and old enough to comprehend it remembers where they were and what they were doing when they first heard that President Kennedy had been shot. We all have these emotional, traumatic memories bookmarked and embedded in our brains, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the load we all bear. It's the uh, privilege of being a human being. Anyway, I still recall sitting in the den at my house with my family and my friend Mike Wilson, uh, watching Dan Rather on CBS News as he passed along the information about the Challenger disaster. 
and the loss of the seven American astronauts on board and that explosion happening over and over and over again playing over his shoulder. So you didn't watch it in school? No, we were out of school that day. It was a snow day. Oh, okay. And I remember my dad saying to Mike and my little brother and me that the Challenger explosion reminded him of the way he felt on the day that Kennedy was shot. And he said, and I'm quoting, it felt like the world had just pulled the rug out from under me. He said it with tears in his eyes. I'll never forget it. Uh, I was 15 that day in 1986, and Dad was 18 when Kennedy was killed. Uh, from that day on, from the, day, from the minute my dad said that to me, I've always wanted to know more about the Kennedy assassination. So that's why I've had all this time to get ready for this episode. Okay. <laughs> so if it sucks, it's on me. Uh, and here's an idea, guys. I'm going to talk to my mom tomorrow as you listen on Thanksgiving. And I'm going to ask her again. I'm sure I've done it before. I just don't remember what she was doing that day, how she remembers that day. She was 16 when it happened. So I want you guys, if you will, to ask your father's-in-law over the Thanksgiving holiday, if you get the chance. I'm sure that Jimmy Givens and Bill Turner have some interesting stories to tell about what they remember about that day. And so maybe we can talk about it next week. Well, I'm also certain my mother-in-law will have some, okay. something Whoever. to add. Because she loves talking about Ms. history. Sharon okay. would love That's perfect. to yeah, share her experience. Um, and for those of you out there listening, you also have homework. Talk to grandma or grandpa or whoever mm-hmm. over the holiday season. And if you can get word back to us uh, by next Sunday, that would be November the 26th, send us an email. Yes, do that. And tell us what you learned. And send that email to True Crime on Easy Street at gmail.com. That's right. You don't have to use any capital letters, mm-hmm. and it's all one word. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to walk our listeners through a timeline of what happened on that day. But first, we're going to give them an abbreviated uh, cast of characters. Okay. Just a few of the many people who were a part of this story, in case you need a quick refresher course, which I did. I do. Yeah, I did too when I got started working on this. So here's our cast of characters. First and foremost, President John F. Kennedy, 46 years old. John F. Kennedy probably should have been dead long before he became the 35th president of the United States. Kennedy was a World War II veteran of the U.S. Navy. He should have died in the South Pacific on August the 2nd, 1943, when the small patrol boat he was commanding was run over and split in two by a Japanese destroyer. They were on a midnight mission in the Solomon Islands a few hundred miles from New Guinea and about 8,600 miles from his home in Massachusetts. Decades before that brush with death, Kennedy had almost died from scarlet fever as a child. After the war, he battled Addison's disease as an adult. Uh, Kennedy came near to death again in 1951 while visiting the Far East with his younger brother Robert. Uh, At one point, Kennedy was in a coma in a hospital in Japan with a fever of over 106 degrees and was not expected to survive the night. Three years later, in the summer of 1954, Kennedy almost died again, this time from from complications following back surgery. He again spent weeks in a coma to the point that a priest was summoned. Even after he recovered, Kennedy did not return to his job as a U.S. senator for several months in May of 55. So he was out of commission for eight months, more or less. Wow. Lives. And I'm not even going to mention the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, which happened while JFK was president and everybody in the world almost died. I'm saving that one for next week. Okay. 
Next on our cast of characters is Kennedy's wife, Jacqueline Bouvier, age 34. Just three months before the assassination on August the 7th, 1963, Jackie had given birth to a son. Uh, and that date also marked the 20th anniversary of the day when Lieutenant Kennedy and his surviving crew members were rescued from their deserted island in the Solomons. Sadly, that good omen soon turned bad. Two days after being born, the baby died of a respiratory ailment. The little boy had been born five weeks premature and his lungs were not developed. Oh, no. Jackie's trip uh, in November to Texas with her husband on what amounted to an early campaign trip for the 1964 election was practically the first time that the First Lady had publicly left the White House since baby Patrick had been laid to rest. Oh. Guys, there's, there's not a lot that's not sad about this entire story. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, next on our list, Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife Nellie, they were also in the President's presence that day. The governor sitting on the right side of the vehicle in front of Kennedy and Nellie sitting beside her husband and directly in front of Jackie mm-hmm. in the back of this Lincoln convertible. Yeah, I remember seeing the photo right. of them because he's actually driving. No, there's Isn't another. He? No, there. Oh, there's it's, another. It's a specially built car, so there's oh, another there's row three, in front of them. That's right. There's so three. There's two seats. Secret Service agents in the front of the in car. In the front. That's, that's right. right. Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, Connolly was a Democrat, like Kennedy. He'd been governor for a year. Okay. Secret Service agent Clint Hill, age 31, was assigned that day in Dallas, as always, to protect the First Lady. Agent okay. Hill was riding on the left running board of a follow-up convertible that was filled with Secret Service agents. Okay. So they're behind the car? Directly behind Directly the behind. Like staying within four or five feet the so entire they could time. watch. But his job is Jacqueline. That's right. Watch her. Okay. Now, the, the motorcade at the time, just as so you know, uh, it's headed to this Democratic Party luncheon in downtown Dallas. That's the okay. purpose of the 30-minute drive from the airport to Dallas, and they're going to throw in a parade along the way. As the presidential motorcade got within just a few miles of the site of that luncheon, dressmaker Abraham Zapruder, age 58, climbed atop a concrete pillar in a city park known as Dealey Plaza, located on the west end of downtown Dallas. Zapruder was holding a small spring-wound 8mm camera, which he used to film the motorcade as it passed him on Elm Street that Friday afternoon. Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett, age 39, was a veteran who had served as a paratrooper in the U.S. Army during World War II. By November of 1963, Tippett was an 11-year veteran of the police department. He had been married for 15 years and was the father of three. On November the 22nd, Officer Tippett was patrolling alone in his police cruiser in a residential district of the city. 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald was a grunt laborer on November the 22nd, described his entire life by those who knew him as a loner. Oswald was a former U.S. Marine and an avowed Marxist who, beginning in 1959, had spent nearly three years living in the Soviet Union after renouncing his U.S. citizenship. Why was he back in the States? That's a great question, and we'll touch on it next week when we get to the conspiracy Renounced theories. his citizenship. That's right. And, and is a citizen of where now? He's or he's he one of those like sovereigns. Three citizens? years later, they let him come back. He got back in the country in October of 62, uh, 13 months before the assassination. 
but he's still not a citizen. He was a citizen. He never like formally renounced. Like, I mean, okay, you, you can it's say like those sovereign citizen it. movements. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He expressed a desire to renounce. Okay, I don't know citizenship. if he like took up citizenship somewhere else. We, okay. we, you hear it every year it in every is. election. Yeah. If so and so gets elected, I'm leaving the country, right. and they never do. It's like I'm traveling, well, he did. And not driving. This guy actually did, but then came back. Okay, so to borrow a term, turns out America's probably better than Russia, right? Yeah, that's what he found out at the time. That's exactly what he found out. I mean, Russia at the time. It's called something. What is it called now? Uh, it's Russia. Is no, it's it still Russia? Russia? Yeah. It's just well, not as big as it was. Still better Turns out that socialism wasn't all it was cracked up to be, at least yeah. for Oswald. People have this idea of that, yeah. that it's awesome. But so I'm going uh, to borrow something from Katie's side of the desk. Okay. We're going to do a little sidebar here all right. for just a minute. Um, have either of you ever been to Dealey Plaza? No. No. Katie, no? I have. I've been there once. It and that's was, in Dallas? That's in Dallas. Okay. That's where all of this happened. Um, since we just mentioned the Texas School Book Depository uh, and Dealey Plaza, that's why I'm asking that question. I've only so, been to the airport in Dallas. All right. 32 years ago, uh, next month, I was there. Oh, i got to show you the guys this photograph here. Mm. Pass that around. Okay. That Scott is, has uh, pulled a picture out of his breast pocket of his shirt. Yeah. If you want to remember how old Scott is. <laughs> he is not showing us his phone. All right. Um, I'll tell you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, in December of 1991, when that photo was taken, I was invited to travel to Dallas with a couple of friends of mine. Are you in this picture? That's me. With the beard. <laughs> I'm glad Katie doesn't laugh I out loud all of a sudden. I just don't believe this is you. It's me. Uh, the three of us went to Dallas. We drove from Tuscaloosa to Texas to go to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, Okay, okay. And, and ring in the new year of 1992. I can definitely tell that it is early 90s by the dude's hair that's driving yeah, the car. That's my friend John. He looks like I'll have to yes, tell him yes, to save, to save by the bell. He sure hair. does. He looks yeah. like Huey Lewis. We always told him that oh, he looked like Oh my gosh, he does John. look like Huey yeah. Lewis. John at 25 looked exactly or 22 Who is whatever this he was. behind you? That my, that is my friend Randy Rigsby. Okay. Uh, that I haven't talked to in years. I haven't talked to John in months, but I haven't talked to Randy in years. Um, anyway, so the whole trip, we were all three history nerds, right? So we you look, read, you look like a car full of nerds. We were. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. we, it was, <laughs> we'll have to put that up on Instagram. I we guess, will. So yeah, everybody will. can laugh Definitely. along with us or along with you guys. I'm going to anyway. get, a, I'll get a picture of that before I leave and okay. put it up on Instagram. So it's a 10 hour drive. So we're reading books about the Kennedy assassination okay. the entire time. We've okay. already decided we're going to make time to go to Dealey Plaza. Okay. And the movie JFK uh, opened on December the 20th of 1991. So while we were in Dallas, we also went to see the JFK movie. We're talking oh. three history nerds on their way to Dealey Plaza. All right. That was us. At the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve 1991, we were not in a bar. We weren't singing Auld Lang Syne. Okay. We weren't watching the ball drop. We were standing at the corner of Elm and Houston Streets in Dealey Plaza with our necks craned straight up looking at the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. Well, how about mm. that? That's cool. It was interesting. Um, <laughs> I bet an eerie at that time of night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it was a drizzling rain. It was cold. And by the way, that drizzling rain continued all day the next day while we were at the Cotton Bowl, which was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. Oh, <laughs> yes. You just get soaked. And, yeah. And on top of well, everything else, it was Texas A&M and Florida State. And the final score was 10 to 2. Fun. It sucked. 
Oh, but we did get to go to the Cotton Bowl. Who won? A- Alabama wasn't Texas even A&M. playing in this no. game. No, 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 no. Oh. John's father was a Texas A&M graduate, okay. and he got some tickets, and so that we made a trip out of it. Okay. Got it. I just assumed Alabama was playing. So while we were at the corner of Houston and Elm, uh, this is literally at the stroke of midnight. We walked out onto uh, Elm Street, where almost nobody was driving, and stood on the X in the middle of the street where John F. Kennedy was when he was killed. Okay. Um, we also climbed up on the concrete pedestal where Abraham Zapruder had taken his film. Mm-hmm. Could you see everything from there? Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much the same view. There were 20 or 30 other people out there walking around with us, but everybody's just kind of in a daze and it's a weird thing. And they all know, we all knew we should be somewhere else having a good time. But for some reason, we just felt compelled to come down to Dealey Plaza. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of like going to the 9-11 Memorial yeah. in mm-hmm. New York and it feels like you can't really talk. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was a very somber experience. Uh, the place gave me a vibe. It, to me, it was the emotional equivalent of, you know, when you try to hold the opposite end of two magnets together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something about Dealey Plaza that repelled compassion, repelled humanity. It was one of the most creepy, eerie nights of my life. Oh, wow. So now we have just one more uh, member of our cast of characters. Okay. Jack Ruby. Age 52 was a Dallas nightclub owner. According to the people who knew him, Ruby had a violent streak and often worked as his own bouncer at his nightclub, the Mm. type of establishment that today we would call a strip club. Kelly, you know about strip clubs. Katie, not so much. Or do I have that backwards? I can't remember. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Uh, On at least 25 documented occasions, Ruby had physically assaulted unruly customers the fight's often ending with Ruby throwing whoever had offended either him or one of his girls down the club's long stairway to the sidewalk below. I, too, remember those days as a strip club yeah, bouncer. Yeah, right. Well, you never want to be the... Doing the same thing yeah. to those who offended me. <laughs> you never want to be the guy who uh, becomes the guinea pig to find out if a long flight of stairs also functions as a ramp on the way down. Mm, but no. Ruby did mm-hmm. uh, on occasion. Um, ever since that weekend in Dallas, there have been claims that Ruby had indirect ties to organized crime. We'll Uh touch on that some more next Mm -hmm. week. And he definitely had a a few run-ins with the law in Dallas involving illegal activities such as gambling, narcotics, and prostitution. Mm. However, and unfortunately for Lee Oswald, Ruby was well-known and well-liked among the members of the Dallas Police Department, perhaps because Ruby often provided them with free drinks and other favors at his club and we will leave it to the listeners to decide oh. what other favors might be but you did hear me mention narcotics and prostitution i did hear that uh, for those of you who are new to the story the reason for me mentioning ruby's friendliness with the dallas police will make much more sense when we get to what happened on sunday november the 24th got it all right so that's the end of our cast of characters okay our abbreviated cast uh, and there's one last official thing to sort before we continue with our story, we told you that we're going to get this information today from the official version of what happened. So let's briefly tell you where the official version comes from. One week after the events of November the 22nd, new President Lyndon Johnson established the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, unofficially known as the aforementioned Warren Commission. Okay. And it was named that because President Johnson had browbeaten Supreme Court Chief Justice Earl Warren into leading that federal investigation. The story goes that Warren initially turned President Johnson down flat, claiming that it would not be appropriate for the Chief Justice to serve the president 
since the Constitution of the United States regards the executive and judicial branches as equal. Separate but equal. Yeah. Hey, I'm kind of with him. Yeah. So Warren said no. All right. But then Johnson summoned him to the White House and into the Oval Office where he asked Warren point blank if he wanted to be responsible for the deaths of 40 million people. Mm. Wait, what? Yeah. That's how many people Johnson had been told by Defense Secretary Robert McNamara would perish in a global thermonuclear war with the Soviet Union. Remember, it's 1963 and the Cold War is as hot as it's ever been. Oh, okay. It's just a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis. And by then, the entire nation knows that Oswald has spent three years living in the Soviet Union. Yes. So, the conspiracy theories are already in full bloom. Mm -hmm. Johnson wants to make sure that the most trusted man in America performs his patriotic duty, gets to the bottom of what happened in Dallas before anybody makes any official accusations. Oh, okay. All right, well. And next week, we're going to get a little bit further into the weeds on just who was on the Warren Commission. But at the time of uh, its establishment, the seven members of the panel seemed to comprise a balanced, bipartisan group of dedicated, truth-seeking, high government officials. Stick a pin in that. All right. So the Warren Commission was formed on November the 29th and met for the first time on December the 5th, 1963, two weeks after the assassination. Nine months later, in September of 1964, the Warren Commission released its report, which ran to 888 pages, Mm. a 26-volume appendix containing transcripts from 552 witness interviews and more than 3,100 exhibits, ran the total number of pages to 16,000. Mediocre journalist that I am, I did not read. All 16,000 pages. That's a lot of pages. I didn't even read the 888 pages, but I did read the 366-page condensed version of the Warren Report Mm -hmm. that was released by the Associated Press a few weeks after the initial report was published. And today you can purchase a hardback copy of the Warren Report for $850 online if you are so inclined. All 16,000 pages. I'm sure there's one in this law office, right? No, I think that's the 888-page version. Oh, that's the, that's yeah. the condensed You can version. read the 26 no, no, indexes no. online. No, no, no. They're we part of the National have. Archives. You don't have that here in no, the law library? No, no, no. Incomplete law library. <laughs> I just thought of something. Sure. And you know what? I'm not going to say it right now because no. I'm jumping way ahead of the story. Okay. But something makes sense to me now after you described the position of everybody in the parade. Okay. We'll get, and I'll, I'll okay. You'll get I'll a chance. You get a, a chance to ask me today. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. So that's so that the the Warren report. That's where today's information comes from. Okay. Uh. And we are going to present that information to you in the form of a timeline. And that presentation begins right after this word from our sponsors. As we head toward the 2023 holiday season, the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism wants to remind everyone who lives in the surrounding area to shop local. Shopping locally means having lunch at a restaurant in town or purchasing unique items in a local shop or boutique or simply filling up your gas tank at the station down the street before hitting the road for a holiday vacation. Small businesses play a major role in maintaining our way of life by supporting our schools and nonprofits and providing jobs in the community. In short, they are giving back. The Chamber encourages you to give back to them by shopping local this holiday season. For more information, visit Cherokee-Chamber.org. Are you in the market for a full-time Weiss Lake home or recreational lot? Let Trini Davis and Elizabeth Powell put their all-star property group at Keller Williams Realty to work for you. 
Trini and Elizabeth are locals themselves, so they know the Wasslake area, and with over 40 years of experience, they're professional listing and buying agents, talented home stagers and photographers, and specialized marketing team will work to make your lakefront dreams come true. Check out the Keller Williams team on Facebook at All Star Property Rome. You can also visit at All Star Property Rome to browse their images on Instagram or give them a call at 706-844-7493. That's the All Star Property Group with Keller Williams Realty at 706-844-7493. You can hit pause, call them now, and make your Lake dreams a reality. Are you a fan of true crime on Easy Street? Do you love us so much that you would like to be a sponsor? Well, here's how you can do it. Send us an email, truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com. We will send you a rate sheet. You can decide what you want your commercial to say, or we can customize it for you. That's how good we are, and that's the service we provide our lovely sponsors. So email us today at truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com for more information. And thank you to all of our sponsors. Now, Scott, where are we going from here? Okay, so we're going to begin our timeline now of the major events that took place on Friday, November the 22nd, 1963. At 7.23 a.m. that morning, Lee Harvey Oswald showed up for work at the Texas School Book Depository carrying a long paper bag under his arm that he told a a co-worker was a set of curtain rods for his apartment. What is... The Texas School Book Depository. It is a seven-story tall orange brick building sitting on the corner of Houston and Elm Streets. It's still there today. Uh, The first two floors were office space, and the top five floors were warehouse space where uh, school books were stored and sent out to schools around the state as orders came in. That's what Lee Harvey Oswald did. He was an order filler. Okay. He boxed up, slapped on shipping labels, and got him to the to the loading dock. That was his job. So he normally worked in this building. He'd been there for five weeks. Did he work on the sixth floor? He worked on every floor. Okay, so he, yeah. he just knew. Everybody just kind of, they had two elevators. There's a flight of stairs. He'd been there for five weeks. Now, had this trip been planned and advertised for more than five weeks? The trip was initially discussed in September in the media, mm-hmm. but the final parade route was not advertised in the local Dallas papers until uh, November the 19th. So. Okay. Oswald would not have had more than 72 hours gotcha. to know. Okay. To know exactly where, okay. where it was going right, to be. Gotcha. Oh, and just for clarity, uh, all these times that I'm mentioning, they're all central time. Same as here in Alabama. Texas okay. is on central time. At 9.30 a.m., President Kennedy and the First Lady appeared at a breakfast in the ballroom of the Hotel Texas. During that breakfast, JFK paid tribute to his wife when he joked to the crowd, two years ago, I introduced myself in Paris by saying that I was the man who had accompanied Mrs. Kennedy to Paris. <laughs> I'm getting somewhat of that same sensation as I travel around Texas. Nobody wonders what Lyndon and I wear. <laughs> <laughs> she was a fashion icon. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that was the last joke that JFK ever told. That was a good one. Yeah, it was a good, one. a good one. Showing a negative advertisement about his visit to Texas in that morning's edition of a Dallas newspaper as he left the breakfast, President Kennedy said to Jackie, quote, we're headed into nut country today. In addition to the advertisement in the paper that morning, a flyer that had circulated around Dallas in the days before Kennedy uh, arrived was topped with the headline, wanted for treason, and accused the president of being a communist sympathizer. A lot of foreshadowing. 
Yeah. Mm. Uh, apparently, that was because he had uh, thought better of allowing those 40 million people to die in a thermonuclear war the previous October during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. He was an appeaser to the communists, and he was guilty of treason in the mind of the far-right nut jobs. Gotcha. Uh, so perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, given what we've just learned, Dallas at the time was a hotbed of right-wing extremism. In the 1960 president, uh, presidential election, Kennedy had come up short on the vote tally in Texas, the city of Dallas in particular. That despite having Texas native Lyndon Johnson as his running mate. The president's top aides had warned Kennedy not to take the trip to Dallas, to Texas at all, but Kennedy had ignored them because another four-year term in the White House might very well depend on Kennedy and Johnson winning in Texas in 1964. That's wild. I didn't think about Johnson being a Texas native. Like, you would think he wouldn't need to worry that much. Uh, that's why they put him on the ticket. They uh, didn't think they yeah. had to worry about it. Did, uh, did his aides think that an assassination attempt was likely, or what were their worries? During a discussion with his assistant, Ken O'Donnell, earlier that very morning, when they discuss, uh, discussed the right-wing threat in Dallas, Kennedy had stated that it would not be hard to assassinate a president. All that would be required, he said to O'Donnell, was one determined man in a tall building with a high-powered rifle. So I'm going to say uh -huh. they questioned this man quite a bit after the events of this day, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, uh, that is wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. but... Is that not why you surround yourself with people like him so that you would listen to them? Well, one would think, but they're just there to advise. And it's hard to, to tell a president what to do. I mean, yeah. there's got to be a huge level of, well, I know what I'm doing. The, I'm the president. The importance of winning another four-year term outweighed the risk of going gotcha. into right-wing nut job territory. I gotcha. But also, you may be getting into this. Do presidents still ride in open-air vehicles? They do not. Yeah, because I've never seen one yeah. in my but lifetime. They ride in, you never know which car they're in, and there's, there's several mm -hmm. around with tinted windows. I think there was an instance in 1970, uh, I guess it would have been J January of 69, after uh, Nixon was elected. Mm -hmm. He had ridden to, from the Capitol building to the White House, he had climbed up out of the sunroof of the car. There's something about that. And the Secret Service was just going nuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I think maybe since then, somebody decided, you know what? Let's just get rid of the sunroof. Yeah. Let's, we have, let's we turn it into those. a tank that looks like a car. Mm -hmm. Even Taylor Swift doesn't ride in open-air vehicles. Yeah. Like, it was such a big deal when she rode in that convertible with Travis Kelsey because she does not ride in <sighs> open-air vehicles. Right. Hmm. It's, it's a, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of that probably has something to do with what happened in Dallas in 1963. Yeah, sure. After greeting thousands of cheering fans along the fencing at the edge of uh, the tarmac at Love Field after their plane landed at 11.38 a.m., Jack and Jackie and Governor Connolly and Nellie climbed into the back of the president's Lincoln limousine convertible for the 30-minute ride through the streets of Dallas. And just to be clear, the people knew, like we said a minute ago, where to stand because the paper had run the parade route on November the 19th. And so on November the 22nd, those streets were lined with tens of thousands of spectators hoping to catch a glimpse of the president and his lovely wife. Remember, this was Jackie's first time in public in three months. Now, were they, um, they're there to, to wave and clap and cheer, right? Because right. they do have some supporters there. Sure. It wasn't just like, it was like 
the the streets were lined with with haters and, and no. opposers. I mean, it was that's right. They they were Plenty welcomed. Of yeah. Plenty okay. of Kennedy fans in Dallas. As the line of cars pulled away from Love Field and started at motorcade, the time was eleven fifty five a.m. John F. Kennedy had thirty five minutes to live. Wow. The president stopped the motorcade twice in the next few minutes to interact with individuals in the crowd. By the time the president's convertible finally arrived at the intersection of Main Street and Houston Street, the time was 12.29 p.m. When the steering wheel of that limousine turned right onto Houston Street, the Texas School Book Depository loomed directly ahead. Just a few seconds later, as the president's car braked to less than 10 miles an hour to take another turn, this one to the left onto Elm Street, it put the depository directly behind the president, and the clock, the big digital clock on top of the school book depository switched to 12.30 p.m. John F. Kennedy's last minute. Just as the limousine straightened out on Elm Street, Governor Connolly's wife, Nellie, turned her head to the right and said, Mr. President, you can't say the people of Dallas don't love you. No, you certainly can't, were his last words. Oh, my God. Wow. And then... A flock of pigeons scattered from the top of the Texas School Book Depository. Many in the crowd thought that the sharp cracks they had just heard must be fireworks set off to celebrate the president's visit. But on that day in Dallas, there were plenty of combat veterans either in the crowd or taking part in the motorcade in some capacity or other, and they all knew a rifle shot when they heard one. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the president's convertible was accelerating away from Dealey Plaza with a Secret Service agent hanging precariously onto the handle on the back of the car. That man was Agent Clint Hill. And that's Jackie's Secret Service. That's right, from our cast of characters. Agent. He was not a combat veteran, but he knew what he had heard. Mm -hmm. And he was assigned to protect the First Lady with his life if necessary, so he jumped on the back of the car after he heard the first shot. To cover her body? To cover whatever he like, could. Yeah. yeah. And but, so that's, that's what I was saying made sense to me. You know, some people make a big deal out of Jackie turning around and, and going towards the back. She doesn't remember that. Okay. And, and people say, that. well, look at what she was doing. But I was thinking that that was because her Secret Service guy was right behind her and she's yelling for help and, and heading for him. But you are going to get to what she was actually doing. She was reaching for a piece of the president's head. Oh. That was laying on the back of the car. And that's what she said to Clint. Uh, well, that's what she realized when she looked in her hands. Because she grabbed said, it? I have his brains in my hand. And, and what's the guy's last name? Clint. Clint Hill. Clint Hill. That's what she told him. That's and right. then that's what Clint has shared with everybody. That's what she, because he's getting her back into the car. Yeah. And so he did, he, he, he reacted after he heard the first shot, but he wasn't in time to outrun the next two shots. Mm-hmm that were fired from the sixth floor window on the southeast corner of the Texas School Book Depository. As he struggled to climb aboard the, the quickly accelerating car, uh, Jackie screamed, my God, they have shot his head off. Oh. Governor Connolly hit by at least one bullet, slumped into his wife's arms and cried, no, 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 they're going to kill us all. Abraham Zapruder had captured this entire scene with his handheld camera. Despite the horror of what he had seen through his eyepiece, Zapruder kept filming until the limousine disappeared under a railroad overpass, no longer on its way to a luncheon. Mm, wow. 
As the speeding limousine detoured to nearby Parkland Memorial Hospital, Agent Hill looked down from his position on the back of the convertible and into Jackie's lap and knew immediately what the rest of the world would not know for certain until CBS newsman Walter Cronkite told him so exactly one hour and seven minutes later, the President of the United States was dead. And he was dead on arrival, right? I mean, he was dead right there. He was. All right, so let's decompress for a second. Okay. First of all, you can watch... You can go on YouTube right now and watch three hours of footage from what was going on on CBS that day. And we were always a CBS news family. Anytime something happened, Mm -hmm. we flipped to CBS. I mentioned Dan rather earlier when the Challenger exploded. So Mm -hmm. uh, back then it was Walter Cronkite. So you can see they interrupt the soap opera as the world turns. Oh. And the placard comes up, CBS special bulletin, and it start the story starts to unfold. And I watched that Mm -hmm. uh, this week. And, uh, you know, knowing what you know now, you can, you can see where they're piecing this thing together one little tiny piece of information at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, uh, speaking of that hospital, there's a really good film from 2013 titled Simply Parkland that tells the story, very historically accurate, of what happened that day in the hospital, in the emergency room, in trauma room one, when the president's limo arrived. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton is in it. Paul Giamatti plays Abraham Zapruder. Zach Efron did a fantastic job. I didn't know that kid could act, but he can. Marsha Gay Harden is in it. Who, who is everybody playing? Tell me, uh, I don't know this film. I've never heard of it. Marsha Gay Harden is I'll put the, it on my list. Marsha Gay Harden is the head nurse that day at Parkland. Okay. Uh, Zach Efron plays the 28-year-old first-year doctor who is on staff in and the that's ER. He's the ER like, doctor like that like day. There's a 28-year-old. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Can you imagine being this doctor? No. Well, the, the room's gonna, that room's going to fill up with doctors really fast, but oh, he yeah. was the first one he there. He was the first one there. Yeah, Giamatti plays Zapruder, and Billy Bob Thornton plays the guy who was the, he was in charge of the Secret Service in the Dallas office. So it was okay. his job mm-hmm. to make sure that this didn't happen. Oh. And Billy Bob is, is amazing at whatever he does. Oh, so, I love him. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, you're going to love Parkland. I'm going to watch this it's, movie today. Yeah, it's I'll great. just put it on my Tell list. Tell me the name it is one worth, more time. It's Parkland. Parkland. I've got to watch it. It is worth an hour and 33 minutes of your time. Where do you, where do you stream I it? I think it's Amazon Prime. All right. I don't remember. I'm there. I've got them all, so I don't remember, but I think it's Amazon. Okay, all right. All right, back to our timeline. At 12.33 p.m., three minutes after the shots were fired, Lee Oswald was in the break room of the second floor of the school book depository, sipping on a Coca-Cola. He was spotted there by a Dallas motorcycle officer who had been part of the motorcade. When he heard the shots, he ran into the building because he thought that's where they came from. Now, the Warren Commission would later determine that three minutes was plenty of time for Oswald to fire three shots hide the evidence, get down the stairs, and buy a Coca-Cola before Officer Baker ran into the front door. Okay. So I'm sure, I'm assuming they, they did this He route. confronted him, yeah. And, they did and the route to prove The officer that confronts uh, Oswald, but the officer has the manager of the building with him. Uh, Mr. Truly was his name. And he said, does this guy work here? And Mr. Truly said, yes, he's an employee. And so the officer continued up the stairs. He thinks the guy's on the roof. So he's oh, trying okay. to get, he thinks yeah. he's gotten in that building so quickly that there's no way the guy could have escaped. And he's not even thinking that it's an employee. No, he's thinking it's, you know, a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Well. It's not an employee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and as the officer continued on the way to the roof, Oswald slipped out of the side door of the building before it could be secured by the Dallas Police Department. Because more and more people on the street out in Dealey Plaza, some of them are pointing that the shots came from the grassy knoll. Some are saying the railroad overpass. 
a lot of them are pointing at the school book depository. So it's not too long before all of the investigators and detectives and officers start to coalesce around the building. They eventually seal it off. But Oswald got out the door before that happened. Okay. And Scott, let me, I'm sorry to interrupt. Anytime. are you going, since we are the 101 version, right. are you going to let everybody know what the grassy knoll actually is? Yeah, we'll get to that next week when okay. we talk about conspiracy okay. theories. Okay, all but right, because yeah. when people think about the Kennedy assassination, they think about the Definitely second the gunman terms. on the grassy that's knoll. Right. That's right. And so our 101 folks need to, to know this. Yeah, yeah. so you'll okay. have to come back next week for that. All right, got it. Uh, at 1236... That was when the limousine carrying the president arrived in front of the emergency room entrance at Parkland Hospital. Mm. At 1245, Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett received a radio call from dispatch directing him to head to the residential area of Oak Cliff and be on the lookout for a man that someone in the crowd near Dealey Plaza had seen firing a rifle out of the sixth floor of the depository. Okay. The description, white male, early 30s, Slender build, five foot ten, about one hundred and sixty-five pounds. That's what's going out on the radio to all of the police officers. Good lord! I mean, how many people? Yeah, yeah. That just described that, me, except for the age. That described many, many folks yeah. that were there. So after many leaving people. the uh, depository, Oswald, who was twenty-four and slender, five feet nine and one hundred and forty pounds, so he's in the ballpark. Yeah. He walked east for a few blocks before he hopped into a city bus, and then he realized that the city bus was going to take him right back to the zoo that Dealey Plaza was quickly becoming. Mm -hmm. So he stepped off the bus, Oswald did, and hailed a taxi cab and told the driver to head towards the residential area of Oak Cliff. In addition to being the area where Officer Tippett was headed to begin his patrol, Oak Cliff was the residential area where Oswald's boarding house was located. At 12.50 p.m., despite their Herculean efforts, President Kennedy was declared dead by the doctors tending to him in Trauma Room 1 at Parkland. The official recorded time of death was 1 p.m., this to allow a Catholic priest to administer conditional last rites. At 1.15 p.m., Officer Tippett saw a man who fit the description of the Dealey Plaza suspect. He had been hearing a on his radio, right? So he saw this guy. He calls him over to the car. There's a short exchange of words. And Officer Tippett gets out of the car and starts to walk around the left side for reasons we will never know. Because before he made it to the front of the car, Oswald reached into the coat he had received, uh, retrieved from his boarding house and grabbed the 38 caliber revolver that he was hiding inside it. Oswald shot at Tippett five times, hit him four times, three in the chest, one in the head. Rushed to a nearby hospital, Tippett was declared dead at 1.25 p.m. on arrival. 13 minutes later, at 1.38 p.m., Walter Cronkite announced to the world that the president had died from his injuries, which officially, as we said, happened 38 minutes before. When was the last time a president died during office before JFK? Uh, before JFK, it would have been, uh, was that McKinley or was it Garfield? I always get those two backwards. Lincoln was first and then Garfield and then McKinley. What year would that have been? That would have been 1901, 1902. So it had been a while. It's been a while. It'd been and a was, while. He, he, was he assassinated or did he just did he he was, pass away from? He was assassinated. He was assassinated. There have okay. been four presidential assassinations okay. in the history of All the right. country. And those are the four that you right. just talked about. 
McKinley, Garfield, Lincoln, Kennedy. And there was an attempt on Reagan. And an attempt on Ford and an attempt on Nixon. There's been a lot of yeah. attempts. We, we forget Reagan about Reagan was actually hit. Yeah, he was. With the There's bullet. Yeah, probably been in, more attempts we don't know about. I, probably I, so. They wouldn't release that to the public nowadays. You know, the person who attempted to kill Gerald Ford was uh, Charles Manson follower Squeaky Fromm. Mm. Yes, yeah. yes. Was he hit with anything? No, the gun misfired when she tried to shoot Ford. But yeah, uh, uh, Reagan was hit under the armpit and in, in the chest. And... Uh, that was Hinckley because mm-hmm. he wanted to impress uh, Jodie Foster. Yeah, he had an obsession with yeah, Jodie Foster. That was, that was March 23rd, 1981. He'd only been in office for two months when that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's happened before, but the last one was Kennedy. Yeah. And so at that point, the 1,036 days of the Kennedy administration was over. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back at Dealey Plaza, Law enforcement had climbed to the sixth floor of the now-sealed-off school book depository and were searching for clues. At the same time, around 1.40 p.m., Oswald was hiding out in a movie theater. Oswald had ducked into the afternoon matinee at the Texas Theater without paying. Uh, He had looked suspicious when he did that to a salesman a few doors down. He saw Oswald duck in past the ticket taker while she wasn't looking. And so he went over and told her what he had seen, and they called the police. Mm. And he looked suspicious uh, to the salesman because the description was already out about the person who had shot Officer Tippett. It had been 30 minutes since that had happened. Mm. So word was already on local radio stations to be on the lookout for this guy who shot Officer Tippett. And so this guy knows this, and he sees this guy acting suspicious, yeah. duck in. Yeah, like he hid, he turned his back when a cop car came by, and then he ducked into the theater, and he thought that looked suspicious. And this and so, guy is exercising that if you see something, say something exactly. that we talk that about. you should do. Yeah, yeah. So, so good by, for him. Yeah, by 145, a group of police officers had surrounded the Texas theater, uh, and during a brief struggle among the seat rows, Oswald punched an officer, oh. reached for his revolver, and shouted, well, it's all over now. Oh, no. At 1.51 p.m. came the first radio message from the group of officers at the theater that a suspect in the death of Officer Tippett was in custody. Mm. At 2.10 p.m., Abraham Zapruder was interviewed live on Dallas TV station WFAA describing what he had seen through the eyepiece of his camera. Zapruder said, quote, I saw his head explode like a firecracker. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh, no. At 2.13 p.m., Dallas police detectives in the sixth floor found three empty shell casings scattered about near the southeast corner of that sixth floor window and a 7.62 millimeter Italian rifle with a four-power scope stashed behind stacked boxes of school books. Yeah, so it was just kind of placed back there. It it wasn't like he took a whole lot of time to hide and he didn't hide the, the shell casings. He didn't even pick those up. Yeah. So that it's kind of making a little more sense that three minute. Um, yeah, he wasn't up put there. Put the gun long behind after something, yeah. head down, that's, stairs. That's the official version. Yeah, I got you. Okay. So while they're waiting to take off from Love Field, Lyndon Johnson, who's been rushed back from the hospital to the airport under mm-hmm. pretty much a, a tortoise shell of Secret Service. Oh, because they don't know that this isn't a Soviet plot to mm-hmm. uh, to decapitate the government of the United States. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of tension in the world at the time. Uh, Johnson is sworn in as the 36th president at 2.38 p.m. 
Jackie Kennedy, still wearing her blood-smeared pink dress, was standing to Johnson's left as he took the oath. We've all seen that photo. Yeah. Right? Mm. She refused to take off the dress. She said, let them see what they have done. Ooh. She didn't take that dress off until she went to bed Did at 4 o'clock the next morning. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I get it. I do, too. Mm-hmm. Sure. I get her, her point. Yeah. I mean... Her fury. She's she's everyone else should be this and, mad. and angry and and shocked and you know yeah yeah. Ugh. At Dallas Police Headquarters, Oswald had very little to say to his interrogators. Still, though, over the course of the afternoon and evening of that first day, investigators were able to link Oswald to both the revolver in his possession and the rifle found on the sixth floor. Uh, in addition to his own identification in his wallet, they found another card with his photo on it and the name Alec Heidel. And they used the serial number on the rifle to figure out that an Alec Heidel had ordered that rifle in March from, a, from Klein's Sporting Goods in Chicago and had it mailed to him to a post office box that was also registered in the name of Alec Heidel. Did he have the job under that name? Or was no. he, his job was under his name? He was Lee Harvey Oswald at the Texas School Book Depository. Okay. Yeah. All right. uh, at 705, Oswald was charged with the death of Officer Tippett. A little over four hours later, at 1126 p.m., Oswald was formally charged with the murder of President Kennedy. This is very fast. Mm-hmm. This is fast. There, yeah. There. Yeah, wait till we talk about conspiracies next week. The, the speed with which this was open and shut, so to speak, is, it, that, is that, that's setting off alarm bells for a lot of people, and it has for the last 60 years. Well, and that's understandable, too. So that's the end of our timeline, but it's not the end of our podcast mm-hmm. today, not just yet. First of all, Governor Connolly, he was also critically wounded in that assassination attempt, but he would eventually recover and resume his duties at the state capitol. Did he have any comments on any of this? He, to this day, believes, and we'll get into that some next week because uh, well, let's he, save dis- that then. he disputes a lot of things. Well, let's save that for next week version. and we can bring that back yeah. up. Were, were they the only two hit, the, the wives? I know Jackie was not hit, but right. was no, his wife hit? Just the two. Okay. Just Connolly and Kennedy. Did Kennedy get hit twice? And Connolly once, or did one bullet miss? That's a great question. We'll probably talk about that. The official version is that one bullet passed through Kennedy and into Connolly. Okay. Another one missed, and the other one was the fatal headshot. That's the official version from the Warren Commission. Okay. Okay. All right. The entire nation that Friday night went to bed shocked and saddened. On Saturday, President Johnson declared that Monday would be a national day of mourning. Only essential emergency workers were expected to go to work. Mm. And it is. It's a national day of mourning, and it doesn't matter which side of the, the voting, you know, yeah, which yeah. party you belong to. If you're, if you're president, if you're a patriotic shot, American, and you're, uh, it's, American, it's a sad day. Yeah. Put your politics aside. It, exactly. Fittingly, November the 25th, that day was also the day of both President Kennedy and Officer Tippett's funerals. The NFL canceled its schedule for Sunday, November the 24th, and so with nothing else to watch on TV, the entire nation was witness to the shooting death of Oswald in front of millions on live television. Wait, what? By our last guy, nightclub owner Jack Ruby. 
That was on Sunday, November the 24th. Remember I told you that it, mm-hmm. it would come back, why it was important that Ruby was friendly with the police? Mm-hmm. He was pretty much this. He was pretty much allowed to come and go as he pleased from Dallas headquarters. He was there all the time. He was a mm-hmm. friend to a lot of the officers, so nobody thought to shoo him out of the building when they hauled Oswald in. When you watch the news footage oh, okay. from that 24-hour period, 48-hour period when Oswald was in the uh, custody of the Dallas police. He's being hauled back and forth up and down the hallways a lot. You see Jack Ruby in the hallway mm-hmm. amongst the crowd two or three times. He was there the whole time. Okay. I, I didn't. I, I just was like okay. not thinking. Yeah. Uh, that's okay because I and just... So he did what now? He was... Hang on. Okay. But right. he, he was... <laughs> it was easy for him to come and go from the sure. police department. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I lied. I just realized there are two more quick items on the timeline. Okay. But we're right. skipping ahead to the 24th, which is the Sunday. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, Sunday the 24th. Mm-hmm. At 11.21 a.m., in front of that live TV audience, Jack Ruby shot Oswald in the basement of the parking garage of the Dallas Police Department as he was being brought out to be transferred from the city jail to the county jail mm-hmm. where there would be more security, more and better security. Wow. And away from the... Away from the eyes of the media. The, the place was a madhouse for 48 mm-hmm. hours. The media was there the whole time. Just Google Dallas Police Headquarters November 23rd and you'll see what I'm talking about. And so he's obviously a Kennedy supporter. And so he shoots. His official. Is that Ruby's, the official story? Well, uh, Ruby would always say that he acted on impulse. Okay. He was just so mad at what this guy had done to the, uh, he had shamed the entire city. And he okay. didn't want Jackie to have to come back and go through a trial. Although Ruby later told his brother that he never intended to kill Oswald. He just wanted to hurt him. Mm. And a lot of people walked around with revolvers in their pockets back then. Mm. And Ruby just, Ruby just snapped and saw the opportunity. And before he thought, this would be his defense later. And I'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But his defense would be, I just snapped. And mm-hmm. there was my chance to take it out on this guy. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the only person that would have shot Lee Harvey Oswald that weekend. Oh, if he no, gotten no. Close enough. no. Absolutely not. They, they, they You're almost, in Texas. There was fear that the crowd was going to get a hold of oh, yeah. Oswald when they pulled him out of the theater and jammed him into a patrol car. That's yeah. why they were taking him to a, a more secure location. That's exactly why. Yeah. They were afraid that... And so he shoots him dead there right there. There might be a good old-fashioned lynching. And you, and you saw it on television. Live television. Okay. The first time ever... That a murder was witnessed live on television. I didn't realize it was on television, though. It was no. live on TV. No football. Mm. Everybody was there. Because they were just videoing his transport. That's right. It was a chance to mm. see Oswald, mm-hmm. and the public you know, wanted to see who this guy was. The news cameras. Get a good there. look at yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're just Do there. you see the guy that shoots him? Oh, yeah. You see, the, you see everything. See the whole thing. Wow. You guys have never seen Ruby shoot I've Oswald? Never, no, I've never uh-uh. seen this. Holy shit. No, I've never. That's why I was shot, so shocked. Now you have more homework. I yeah. knew Oswald had got shot, but when you said witnessed it on TV, that's what I was like. Yeah, that, that aspect I did not know. Yeah. Wow. Oswald was rushed to the emergency room at Parkland Hospital. Wow. Is this in the movie? Trauma Room 1? Trauma Room 2. Oh. They refused to push him into Trauma Room 1. Oh. The staff was, at the hospital. Was, yeah. He officially was. died at 1.07 p.m. Katie, what did you ask? Is that in the movie? Yes. No, wait. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. In Absolutely. Parkland? Okay. Yeah. The way Parkland, the movie is set up, is it, 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 everything in the movie takes place over three days. It's okay. from noon on Friday the 22nd mm-hmm. until the afternoon of Monday the 25th. It's and after all days. this happens, as, as a young up and coming doctor there, do you just toy with the idea of, 
I think I'm going to quit. I think I'm going to transfer. They did not. And there's a, <laughs> there's a fantastic documentary that, you, that is brand new mm-hmm. that you can watch. And it's called, uh, it's on Paramount Plus. It's called Parkland, What the Doctors Saw. Okay. And they interview a lot of the staff still alive. Mm-hmm. And they interview them. It's a very well done documentary mm-hmm. uh, that I watched uh, yesterday, day before. And they interview the doctors and they recall their memories of and what, what happened is their the bullet points, Scott? What what is their consensus of everything? Uh, let's just say for now that the doctors at Parkland do not agree with the Warren Commission. Interesting. Yeah. The doctors at Parkland do not agree. And are you going to get into that ne- next week? Oh, yeah. Okay. A lot of teasers got, this I've week. I've got four pages of notes at home for that one. I don't know if we should tease everybody this much as they head into dealing with their family. Oh, yeah. No, this is rough. Don't make it any worse than it's already Everybody just be. calm down and, and, and have a few beverages after you get home. You've dealt with your family. Whew. Yeah. And then next week, you'll hear a little bit more. Yeah. Yes, you'll hear a lot. Okay. More. All right. So unlike uh, his victim, Oswald, Jack Ruby eventually did stand trial for the murder that he committed on live television. Okay. And you'll have to take my word for it until next time, because that story is shit nuts crazy. And we're going to hear that next time? Oh, yeah. Time? Okay. And Katie, that reminds me, I need to borrow that Melvin Belli book from you again, because I'd but forgotten I this. Mm-hmm. Melvin Belli was right Jack Ruby's defense attorney. <gasps> Okay. What? Okay. Yeah, our good friend Melvin Belli from the Patty Hearst debacle. <laughs> God, whatever. I mean, how many states was he licensed in? He had never, at this time, uh, he was the king of torts, Melvin yeah. Belli. He had never uh, been a criminal defense attorney in his life. This was his first foray. But he All just right. had to get, on, get in there? All right. It's the most interesting part of this whole thing to me, the story about... Melvin Belli and the Jack Ruby trial. Okay. You're, you're I'm gonna interested. Okay. It's, you're going to love right. it. We need a movie on this. Mm-hmm. There probably is. I just haven't. I know there's a, there's a movie called Ruby and I think it stars. I don't remember who it stars as Jack Ruby, but there is one and I'm going to find it and watch it before All right. next week. And I'd Katie love to will know too. How it is. Katie has even more homework now. <laughs> um, and so just like President John F. Kennedy and Officer J.D. Tippett, Lee Harvey Oswald was buried on Monday, November the 25th, 1963. Kennedy's what? funeral, yeah. One day after he One died? One day after. Kennedy's funeral was attended by hundreds of thousands and seen by tens of millions on TV. Tibbet was buried with full honors in front of an estimated 2,000 mourners, 800 of whom were his fellow police officers. At Oswald's brief funeral in Fort Worth, the few reporters who were present were pressed into duty as pallbearers because uh- no one else was there. Ooh, yeah, except for about four family members yeah. his mom his brother uh, his wife and his two daughters so there were five people mm-hmm. at and the priest there were I forget he had little children yeah oh bless one was less than a year old mm-hmm. just a few months so 60 years later the question still lingers was Oswald alone responsible for the death of the president or did the responsibility lie with Oswald and at least one someone else. Because then, by the very definition of the word, you have a conspiracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is true. According to the Warren Commission, that answer was no. No conspiracy. Just Oswald. Just Oswald. But the Warren Report, all 16,000 pages of it, landed with a virtual and literal thud on the desks of the American people. Mm. A vast majority of the country was not buying what the Warren Commission was trying to sell. 
Next week in part two, we will tell you just a few of the many theories that have been contrived through the years to try and and explain and clean up this mess that all of these people think was created by the Warren Commission. Some of those conspiracy theories do involve Lee Harvey Oswald being a participant in the assassination. Others don't involve Oswald taking a shot at the president. And a few don't even involve Lee Harvey Oswald being anywhere near Dealey Plaza that day. Hmm. But all of the theories do have one thing in common. They all involve a conspiracy to assassinate the President of the United States next week. Phew, Scott. That was great. I had three weeks. And you know what? This is a hot button topic to this day. Yeah. People are on one side or the other. I have gone back and forth about five times in the last three weeks. Before I started doing this, I was convinced that it was Oswald alone. Yeah. And I've gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we'll uh, learn next yeah. next time what you really think. Yeah. Right? Well, what I think when I when we're in here next week. Next week. But who knows a week after it's that. It's one of those those things. Because there's all of this stuff on TV right now. Everybody's doing a 60th anniversary special. Yes. There's documentaries. And there. Uh, I watched JFK again yesterday, which I hadn't seen in a long time. Oh, yeah. And it makes a lot more sense to me now than it did even back then when I saw it the first time. So a lot of stuff yeah. uh, that you can soak up if you want to learn more about this between now and then. And they do a much better job of it than we did here today. This team of experts, not so much. Well, we're the 101 version. We're the 101 version. So, uh, you know, go out this week. Yeah. Watch some documentaries. Mm-hmm. Talk and, to your family members. Yep. And then and then listen to our part two next week. Yeah. And then we would love to hear what you think. Yeah, fire away. And you said there were some things that you wanted to make sure everybody remembered to do, mm-hmm. all of our listeners. What was that? Go to Facebook, of course, and check mm-hmm. us out there. Yes. And uh, Spotify, listen, what were you saying? If, if you can listen to us using your Spotify app, that would greatly help your yeah. friends here at True Crime on Easy Street. Of course, you're, you're welcome to listen on your favorite platform. Mm-hmm. But if you can, Access us through Spotify. That's where we get the, the numbers that tell us how we're doing. Yep, that's where the, that's the sweet spot right there. Yeah. And so if you can if you can do that this week, access us on Spotify. If you don't know how to do that, we'll tell you how. Just yeah. find us. Yeah, that's right. Uh, gobble gobble. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Is that it? Are we done? I think that's it. Good night, everybody. Oh.